everyone and welcome to Learning with Bell Vista Studios. I am so excited today to have Michael Henderson here. Michael Henderson is a corporate anthropologist. He's a keynote speaker, he's an author, and we just cannot wait to learn from him about anthropology and culture. So Learning with Bell Vista Studios is all about being curious and speaking to people in the industry who inspire us and who do work that we really want to learn about and um, work on in our own team. So we're very grateful to have Michael here with us today, just to have a casual conversation about anthropology, culture, and how it can help us do our role better as instructional designers, HR managers, learning and development teams. So thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show. Delighted to be here, Hannah, thank you. So I guess to get into this, it would be really useful to learn from you as an anthropologist, what is anthropology? <laughs> Very broad that's, question, but sorry, that's, interesting. That's a really good question. And the reason I'm laughing is um, it's almost, there's almost a bit of a paradox because every single anthropologist you ask that question of has got a slightly different answer, which um, kind of tells us we don't really know what we're doing <laughs> as, a, as, a, uh, as a social science. So anthropology i always like kind of i'm a bit of a purist in some respects in terms of understanding what it's all about so anthropology is actually a word from the greek uh, anthro being uh, human and ology is the study of or the knowledge of so it's a it's a gathering of knowledge and a progression of knowledge and a sharing of knowledge about what does it mean to be human but because uh, there's human beings all around the world, um, what that basically means is that anthropology, I guess, is you, almost like what does it mean to be human here now? So you're in Sydney. If I were doing sort of a anthropological kind of perspective of Sydney, my, that's my foundation question is arriving in Sydney is what does it mean to be human in Sydney now? And so even if we go back with COVID going on at the moment, you go back eight to nine weeks, what it meant to be human in Sydney nine weeks ago is possibly slightly different than what it means to be human in Sydney now. And I think that's a really, really vital element to be sensitive to because a lot of organisations refer to culture like it's permanent. Um, and you'll hear organisations go, oh, yes, we developed our culture two years ago. Uh, it's over there on the wall. You can see our purpose statement and our, uh, our company values. And we're incredibly proud of them. And we live those every day. And even in that description, you kind of go, OK, I'm not, I'm not quite sure you're as tuned into what this is actually all about as an anthropologist would be. And that's not... That's not a negative necessarily. It's even that is that's what it means to be human in an organization is listen to the word organization. So organizations like concepts and things in their place, including culture. Right. So they want culture sorted two years ago. They want culture is part of HR or part of people and culture or part of organizational development. So they liked everything locked down and in place to feel kind of secure and like they've got control of things because obviously they've got stakeholders and shareholders to look after. So you kind of look at that and that's sort of a, an introductory way of looking at what is anthropology. It's the study of human beings here inside an organization at this time, which could be in COVID or 
in the fourth quarter of the financial year where the pressure's on or the first quarter of the financial year where they're creative and they're excited about new strategy and they've just secured a new contract or in your world, they've just launched their new learning program for mindfulness or whatever it happens to be. So anthropology is the gathering of the knowledge of what that means to them. Love it. Very interesting. So just to help people understand, and I think it'd be great to get a definition from you, a simple definition, what is culture? So you're talking about, it's about culture and culture of organisations. How would you describe what culture is? Yeah, again, and if I can just uh, put a caveat on what I'm about to say, again, this is a really funny thing about anthropology. Um, I've never heard the same definition supplied by an anthropologist when you ask that question of them anywhere. So it's, an, it's a little bit different than sort of a harder sort of uh, material subject like say physics, where they give you a formula, you know, so they'll go, oh, that's EMC squared, or oh, that's gravity. It's <laughs> um, so, not an easy answer. Yeah, it's, it's really not an easy answer. So, um, but to your point, I've had to come up with an answer because I'm getting paid very well by clients to actually come in as a so-called subject matter expert to teach them about that word. So um, my journey with that has been, I started off kind of literally just parroting what my professors told me. And that was a very convoluted, slightly academic, if I'm really honest, slightly out of date um, description of culture which worked worked at the time while we were learning and trying to find our way into this kind of puzzle of being human together where i've got to is um again being a bit of a purist i've sort of said the word culture comes from the latin and that word is cultus Ooh, interesting. So cultus is the original word that Cicero invented. Uh, so he was a Roman sort of uh, senior senator. And Cicero, great speaker, introduced this word cultus, basically going, almost alluding to what the Greeks have been talking about is, we can probably cultivate our minds to think effectively, think intelligently. We don't have to drop to the lowest common denominator. We grow and learn. This is exactly what your world is all around, right? It's about cultivating the mind. So the word cultus is where the words in the English language culture, uh, cultivate, horticulture, viticulture, permaculture, all these words have come from that Latin word cultus. And it actually means, and this is the interesting bit, to care. Wow, does it? Yeah, I know. Interesting. So I've never, I've never heard another, I'm sorry, this is going to sound like I'm uh, patting myself on my own back. That was a massive insight for me when I kind of, research that i don't know maybe 10 or 15 years ago i sort of sat back and went why why is nobody in anthropology ever saying this why is nobody in anthropology saying it's about care yeah because that suddenly a made it accessible i can go into any client business in the world now and they go what's culture and they go it's care and they go oh that's good we're already doing that and go yes you are so automatically they can, as right as they rightly should, they can already claim, well, we've got some of that already. You go, of course you have. You're human beings here now. You must be caring about something. What is that? That's amazing. I love that because I've yeah heard a few different definitions of culture, but I haven't heard it like that. And that, like what you said, that's such a good way of putting it. And it helps people understand the importance of it too, I think. Um, yeah. I, I thank you. I, and I agree. And again, I can't really take credit for it. Um, I 
came up with it, but when I say I came up with it, it's one of those, we've all had these, haven't we? We have an insight moment where you mm. suddenly, you suddenly know something that you didn't know 30 seconds ago <laughs> that wasn't a, wasn't even a learning journey. So this is the difference for me in, in, in the learning kind of journey. We can learn by gathering information and understanding information and sequencing information to arrive at an outcome. So again, it's a bit like a mathematical formula. It's two. Yep, got it. Plus three. Uh, give me a moment. Okay. <laughs> Minus one. Uh, yeah. Equals uh, four. <laughs> so that's kind of information working, right? Whereas insight is where you're just sitting there mining your own business. Uh, maybe, you know, you've stopped actually doing your work and you've gone to make a cup of coffee. Or in my case, I walk the dogs regularly. It's often when I'm out on on a walk with the dogs, just loving nature and being quiet time with the dogs. And then suddenly one of these understandings arrives in your head and I call that insight. Yeah, wow. And I'm getting, getting kind of older now, but I've started to reflect, reflect on some of the elders I spent time with in tribes around the world. Wow. I didn't really, cause I was a young man at the time. I didn't realize what they were talking about, but now I've gone, Oh, this is why they kept saying the fire is the most important place to learn because when you stare into a fire, you kind of go into a hypnotic state, mm. right? So you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you stare do. into like a fire. And it's almost almost, like, yeah. yeah, it looks like a miniature palace in there or <laughs> cathedral and the lights moving and you can see pathways and channels. <laughs> so they used to put a really big emphasis on the best kind of way to know what to say as the chief or to create dialogue with people is to do it around the fire. And I always thought it was because that's where everyone's together and we sit in a circle, so we're all equal. But once I kind of got that insight around culture is care, I went, oh, hang on a minute, this is what they were talking about. It's the insight-based conversations, not information-based conversations. That's so interesting. That is amazing because it makes me think about when we were talking about anthropology and culture, our team, we were thinking how, so, from the beginning of time, there's been tribes and cultures have formed. And now that you've said care, like I'm starting to understand, I'm like, okay, it's making sense that people are coming together to do things together and they're cultivating, doing work together. I'm wondering, so those so the tribes or the caveman days, they would have created cultures and cultural norms. How has that changed over time? I find it so interesting from that time to say organizations today or families today has there anything yeah. been anything we've retained from those times or has it changed or what would you say i'd say we've retained nearly all of it so wow really uh, quite, quite okay. frankly yeah and this is this is a biased point of view again go and talk to archaeologists or other anthropologists and they go oh you've been talking to henderson he's an idiot he doesn't know <laughs> what he's talking about don't listen to him he's, he's weird um, my perspective is we're not quite as civilized as we think we are. Yeah. And so I know even for you and I to be able to talk now, um, during lockdown, separated by the Tasman ocean, there's a time difference of whatever it is, two or three hours at the moment. So, so we've made some incredible techno wizardry advancements. Right? So, so the tools we have are just mind blowing. Mm. Like even, even in my grandparents' time, so my grandmother was born in 1900, right? So just the, the end of sort of the Victorian sort of a, if, if we went back just that shorter distance in time and told them that we can talk to each other visually like this, they would think it was like science fiction. Yeah. They'd be going, 
what? Ow. <laughs> yeah. So this is before the telephones even invented and become the, the mobile phone. Yeah. Right? They're going, what's wrong with you? So I think that the tools we have have been enormously advanced and, and undeniably advanced. I think the being human bit is not quite as advanced as we like to take credit for or even uh, we, we think we are. And, and for give you a really kind of current example of that, I don't know if you got the same thing in Australia, but I think you did because I think it went viral on YouTube. Do you remember the fights breaking out over toilet paper in supermarkets? Yes. <laughs> yes. That was very caveman behavior. That caveman. Yeah. Oh, true. So, it is. Yeah. It's like a fight for survival. Moment, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So the moment our little bubble, excuse the, the pun word at the moment, our little bubble of security and superiority, yeah. you know, oh, we have buses and oh, we have mobile phones and um, the moment <laughs> we kind of get carried away and impressed with ourselves and that kind of gets challenged. And it, it, mm. I mean, the world's gone through this recently with COVID, but it could be just in your, your department in a business where the budget just got cut and yeah. now you're asked to produce the same results with half the money or customers are leaving your product and going over to the competition's product. So these kind of COVID sort of changes in the way we're seeing the world. I mean, COVID has been dramatic, obviously, and deadly, but it's that where the moment we're under pressure, we become stressed and the moment we become stressed, we go straight back into animal nature. Wow. So hence my comment, yeah, we're sort of advanced in some ways and in other ways we are so still in the cave it's not funny in fact literally right we've been all asked to stay at home in our caves recently mm. so yeah that makes so much sense so it's almost like we've got this we've live in a world now where we're not fighting to survive so we sort of don't tap into those survival instincts or those behaviors that we used to when we're in those caveman days or um yeah, in a tribe a long time ago, I can see how that would play out and how it would change over time. And yeah, coronavirus, that's such a good example of people are fighting for survival, thinking there's going to be no food left or, and we go straight back into how we used to be back in the day where we'd fight for food or do whatever we needed to do to be able to get that. And I could see how that would play out in organizations when yeah. people are threatened by something. Yeah. And it could be feel threatened by the boss you work for and you're, you know, it might be five people in your team and you're the one person in the team that the boss doesn't like mm. or where you've got a personality clash or if they're misogynistic, maybe you're the one person that's got an ethnicity that is different from the rest of the team or a gender that's different from the rest of the team or a mixed gender. that's different. So that's all it takes is for somebody's view of what they perceive as being normal to be challenged and then suddenly we can revert into these kind of obnoxious mm. uh, biased prejudiced uh, survival based behavioral mechanisms it can just happen really really quickly yeah wow very interesting something else i'm really interested in is how cultures form so we were sort of talking about how an environment can impact a culture. But when I think about it, there's every family has a different culture. Every organization has a different culture countries. How are they all formed so differently? What are some of the triggers or things that lead to that culture being the way that it is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, again, sorry, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Talk to other anthropologists and I'll give you a definite explanation <laughs> where I've arrived at um, is that 
I absolutely believe that all cultures form out of beliefs. Okay. So um, again, we've almost got to go back to the caveman story. So if you just follow me through, I'll try and keep this succinct as I can do. Um, first of all, you kind of almost have to start with understanding what does it actually mean to be a human being? And in the commercial world, organizations really don't care about that. So they're going, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know what it means to be a human being. I need you to get this done, right? So I'm not going to think of you as a human being. I'm going to think of you as a machine. I'm going to think of you, of you as a functionality. And because of that, you are immediately replaceable. So how culture forms is when, and this is quite of a crucial kind of understanding in my framework, at least, three or more people come together. So one person on their own, if you were just sitting in your room as you are now on your own, that's the personality, right? So we could, we could interview Hannah and find out what her beliefs about COVID are. Two people in the room. So let's say a, a friend came in, a socially distanced friend who sat at the other end of the couch and we kind of talked to you both. There's a possibility that you may have beliefs that overlap. You both agree on that. And then you may have some beliefs that you kind of, are willing to understand each other's perspectives, but not quite accept it to the extent that the other one does. Yeah. And then you may even have beliefs where you go, well, that's just not true. I, I just can't accept that. So when you have two people in a room, that's a relationship or a, uh, a polar, what I call a polar tick, a yes and a no. It's where the word politics come from. Oh, wow. It's like liberal or labor. It's the polar opposites, right? And they're in tick mode. So they're in... Yeah. All you've got to do is say one thing that doesn't fit in their world and they get all upset and go into a kind of frenzy tick movement of the body. Culture forms when the third person turns up. Okay. Because yep. the third person then provides uh, almost a meta perspective or a uh, witnessing. So they can watch Hannah talking with Hannah's friend, see that they both have overlapping ideas, but also have a couple of ideas that are radically opposed to each other but then make the comment that actually you two guys you two in your discussion are more in agreement than you are at odds would you be willing to park the politics and concentrate on the bit just while we come together here that you have in common because that will probably be enough to get the job done and we don't have to worry about the fact that hannah votes for that political party and janet her friend votes for this one or hannah's a u2 uh, fan and, and the other person is a aria grande fan <laughs> maybe those kind of aren't relevant for what we're here for which is a knitting circle yeah wow okay so pull that all together what i'm really saying is how culture forms is when you can locate which is not an easy thing to do the beliefs you have in common about being together here at this time for this reason or for this outcome. Oh, okay. So it's the three of us in this room here because we all believe that knitting is a stress, a wonderful stress release, creative, fun thing, that it's often done in isolation and yet it's so much more fun because it's a mechanical thing. We can actually knit and talk and joke at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we believe that knitting is better when done socially. So if we all agree on those beliefs and we go, let's knit and have fun together, then it means we've got a kind of cultural understanding that politics are not a good topic for us to drift into because then it's not fun, it's not social, it becomes an argument, which is not what we signed up for. 
So that that three people in a bubble is kind of almost like the the nuclear family, right? Two parents and a child is enough for the witnessing to occur. And it, it it's almost organic because you will even see quite young babies, maybe not even learn to talk yet, that will burst into tears when the parents are arguing, right? Wow. So the parents are in argument, right? Screaming at each other, yelling at each other. So that's the politic, right? The child who is still in this kind of fragile state is absolutely dependent on love and guardianship and protection, knows through its neurology and biology, there's violence here. Wow. Violence is, violence is a risk to survival. So it bursts into tears, right? It goes into a, a panic state. That panic state, although it's not with words, it's with body language, pitch, tone, and noise, is communication back to the other two. Hey, this isn't working for me. Wow, how interesting it happens at that young of an age. Yeah, really, really, really early age, right? And so, I mean, that's straight out of the animal kingdom. So you'll see animals, uh, dogs, cats, antelope on Serengeti plains, uh, chimpanzees in trees when danger arrives. One of them will signal, one will set off the alarm. Like danger approaching, it's just sometimes in the nuclear family, the danger isn't approaching, it's here. It's the two parents disagreeing about which TV show to watch tonight, right? But because the the infant doesn't understand TV show and argument, yeah, all it gets is violence. Wow. So is that like a survival instinct that we all have within us to be able to work together? Because I'm thinking if you go back to the beginning of time if you went off on your own, if you're in a tribe or a clan, you could potentially get eaten by a tiger or a bear, but if you stuck yeah. with the tribe, is that sort of why people don't Absolutely. like that? Yeah. Absolutely right, yeah. So you're more likely to be vulnerable out, out there on your own uh, than you are, which is why even in lockdown, we've been sent back into our caves, right? Mm. So, so, yeah, when um, you say it like that, it makes so much sense. It has happened. Yeah. Yeah, and the domestic violent rate in New Zealand's gone through the roof, sad to say. We've got yeah. one of the highest rates of uh, domestic violence in the world, which is just mind-blowing oh, for yeah. a, a nation that otherwise is phenomenal. So that's what I'm referring to, is we're not as sophisticated and as civilised as we like to tell ourselves. There's still a very big way of... Sorry, a very big part, not way, a very big part of how we operate is still animalistic. Yeah. It's still in the cave. And yeah, that absolutely turns up at the workplace. Yeah. So you'll see alpha personalities at the workplace that think they're superior to everyone else, that bully the boss. Um, we've got, I won't mention the segment, but we've got a whole sector here in New Zealand that is going through a review at the moment, an mm. inquiry into racism, sexism, and bullying. Yeah. And this particular industry that's been hauled up for investigation around that employs what is probably the brightest minds in the country, typically. So in terms of university graduates, they're getting the cream of the crop. Mm. So those people are now running these kind of businesses, but over time they've set up a culture where they think that racism, bullying and sexism is okay. So this is what I meant by our opening comment when you said, what is culture? Go, what does it mean to be human here now? Yeah, wow. 
So some of these organizations are being led and run by people who think that it's being human here back in the 1950s. Yeah, wow. So they, they think that sexism, racism bit is okay. And you're going, which century are you living in? Do you not realize yeah. that behavior is actually even putting your brand reputation at risk nowadays? Mm. Right? So, so what are you doing? So and so that's, that's a very normal kind of example of human beings not being as sophisticated as we think we are. Wow. So I'm just trying to get my head around it because I'm thinking about if we have something within us where we want to connect with a group and it helps us survive to be in a group. Why do people do things like that to try and break apart a group? Are there other factors that is linked to their survival where they think if I'm racist or if I bully people, how is that going to help them? What I'm just trying to figure out what the survival instinct or yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? <laughs> yeah. You've, you've just nailed it actually. And it's, I've got to, uh, I've got to kind of put a pause on what I can share here. The moment we get into the individual, which is often what we're referring to when you say that we get one individual who for whatever reason perceives that their way of surviving is by being superior to others. Okay. Or their way of surviving as being the one with all the knowledge in the organization. So they're very reluctant to share or tell people how to do it. Yeah. Or their way of surviving is to get the most status. So they have to be seen to be the best and are reluctant to share the contributions that others have made, or sorry, acknowledge the contributions that have other that others have made. So yeah. that starts to move almost out of anthropology into psychology. Yeah. Where we've already yeah, got, right. in that case, you've got, yeah, you've got to sit down with the individual and go, so Bob, <laughs> why, are so obnoxious, right? yeah, why do you think, where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. um, I'm, out of my, I'm out of my kind of range of experience and expertise in that yeah, space. No, that's so fine. I, I was just interested, yeah, I, I was just thinking. Yeah, no, that's fine. So when you look at organizations, this is something that I have come across a lot. Well, not a lot, but I know that it happens and I've seen it happen. And you've mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast where organizations say that they have a certain culture. So they might say our values are integrity and um, we have good communication and we support each other. So they, I'm thinking they tell you these things, but in reality, the culture is something completely different. How do you, what do you look for to understand what the actual culture is? So how do you see the reality despite what leaders are telling you the culture is? What do you look for? Yeah, we've come, we've come up with a sort of a, we developed a model and it was, came, or it all came out of that insight. I said uh, some years or decades ago around culture is care. So as I mentioned before, uh, you said, where does culture start from? And I said, it's belief. Yeah. So, when somebody says, we believe we've got a great culture because integrity is one of our values, we've uh, read Simon Sinek's book and found that a purpose is important and there's ours, our purpose is to be awesome. Um, I listen to all that and I go, okay, that, that sounds cool. That sounds kind of promising. Let's have a look at the reality. And to your point, then what we're interested in is watching it in action. So we go from what I call belief to behavior. So uh, in the old days, I used to do what's uh, a kind of a core skill set in anthropology is called participant observation, okay. where you basically would go and participate 
actually work, not just sit with a clipboard in the corner, but actually go and work in the environment with the people doing the work. Wow. So I've spent time in call centers. I've sent, spent time on the road with sales reps. I've spent time sitting in the executive teams planning strategy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what you're actually doing is going, okay, you said one of your values was integrity. Let me see, given that culture is uh, all about what humans care about here now, let me see how much you care about integrity while you're with this customer. Wow. Let me see how much you care about integrity while you're planning this strategy. Let me see how, and it's at that point that the kind of the rubber really hits the road and you kind of go, oh, so you believe integrity, but you don't practice it. That's interesting. That's, and people might not even realize that. They might no, but they do, but then when they reflect yeah. on their own actions or someone watches yeah. they realize that it's not that way. Yeah. And so that, that's the real power, I guess, of anthropology because uh, in the early days, that's kind of what my career was, was spending time in organizations, sitting, observing, participating. So I'd be going, you know, I'd be taking calls on in the call center as well, dealing with grumpy customers, but actually doing the work because mm. you have to put yourself in their situation. Otherwise, it's very easy to sit back as an external and go, I really don't think you should be yelling at your customers like that. Uh, they are the customer after all, and we're, we're earning money from them, so please be polite. Yeah, That's a really thing to do for, you know, like a, I don't know, an executive coach. If you're not actually doing their job, you could argue you've almost got no right to guide somebody if you don't want to know what it's like to be in the hot seat. Mm. So anthropologists put themselves in the hot seat to go, oh yeah, wow, that's really uncomfortable. That's the 19th foot phone call in a row with somebody swearing at you, mm. at you personally, for something that somebody in another department in another state of Australia did last week, and now you're copying it. So it's only when you've got that, when you go, yeah, I get how hard that is to maintain integrity when somebody's uh, being violent towards you or swearing at you or calling you names. I, now I get how that's really, really hard to take the belief and transfer it into behavior. Yeah. Whereas if you just went through something like a performance feedback cycle in the business, right? And I get, as that telemarketer or that call center, I get called into a review with my boss and it goes something like this. Uh, so Michael, um, we've had five complaints in the last fortnight about you swearing back at customers. What's that all about? My kind of my first question is, boss, have you ever been on the phones? Mm. Right, because if the boss hasn't, then I go, look, this kind of conversation is really redundant. I already know I'm not supposed to swear at customers. I know that's not kosher. I know that's not cool. I know that's not good customer service. I know that's not great for our brand. I know that does shocking things to our net promoter score. I know that those customers may never use us again. Yeah. But let me tell you about the, those are the five complaints you got. Let me tell you about the other 14 that occurred before that. Right? So this is what I mean by what does it mean to be human here in that hot seat now with those 19 calls of which five led, led to customer complaints. So if you don't have, if you don't have the awareness or the understanding of that, then it's very, very hard to put yourself in the position to understand how is that occurring and why, why is that not playing out? So coming back to your original question, culture forms through belief. Yeah. To understand to your point, if it's real, 
Thank you. Sorry, my, my wife just brought me in a rescue cup of tea. So you can hear my voice going. Gotta have your cup Thank of tea. You. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> so then we have to test and go, okay, I believe in it. Am I behaving it? Yeah. And then we look at the outcome of either behaving or not behaving it, which is basically then saying, great. So what have you become as a, as a result of believing in this, not behaving it? Now, what have you become? So those three levels are what we call the practicing of culture or what we call culturing. It's culture in practice. So believe, behave, become. So. Let's take the integrity example. We, the company says, we believe in integrity, Michael. And I go, okay, let's have a look. And I spend whatever it is, a month with them or three weeks with them. And then I see a lot of behaviors that are not in integrity. Yeah. I go, but we don't blame them for that. We go, okay, like you said, that's really interesting. Uh, I love the word you said that your organization's all about, which is curious. You cannot be a really effective anthropologist if you don't have massive amounts of curiosity. Mm. Right. So you sit there and go, oh, that's really curious. They said they believed in integrity and yet I've been here for a month and I haven't seen it once. What I have seen is a lot of striving, a lot of endeavor, a lot of um, effort. Mm. So what's that all about? And then you look at who they become out of that behavior of striving and effort and endeavor and you go, ah, oh, they've become successful. Interesting. So what they really value is success, not integrity. So at that point, when I'm doing my job, I write that down. And when I kind of write up the report, I go back and go, you know, your values of integrity, customer service and respect. They're wonderful, but they're not your values. Yeah, interesting. Your values are compete, succeed, win. Wow. It sounds like a lot of observation is involved. And from our research of anthropology, and culture, it does sound like that. You, you can't just make assumptions. You need to watch and see what actually happens in reality. And yeah. it sounds like you need You're to take right. that time to s step into their shoes. And that's what we love as well. We love human-centered design. And we do observations for designing our projects. So watch the user and yeah. see what their life is actually like. So it can totally relate to that observation part of understanding what the culture is. Yeah, and in fact, that's exactly, I mean, human-centered design came out of anthropology. So mm. the participant observation and the ethnographic research are both kind of practices within anthropology. So I was thrilled when I heard that this thing called um, human-centered design or customer-centered design or what's the new one they're talking about? Consciousness-centered design. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. I have to look into that. Yeah. So that that's kind of it's really really new and i mean really new but it's basically almost going what what would a human being have to be conscious of or unconscious of yeah to be behaving the way they are and therefore what is the design intervention that could be introduced to reduce some of the pressure they're putting themselves under or the problems that are emerging out of that lack of awareness yeah wow that's really interesting. So another question I have, but I think I'm sort of starting to get an understanding of it is how you change cultures. Um, if the culture needs to change. So, okay. So the first part is how do you identify that a culture needs to change? Yeah. So the, the key thing that shows whether a culture needs to change is the performance. The culture is delivering is not the one you want. Okay. Yeah. So it gets, it gets very, very practical. 
Yeah. So again, this is a lot of business people think culture is this new age, soft, huggetry, soft, fluffy stuff that's better handed off to the HR department. And my challenge to them is how on earth do you look yourself in the mirror in the morning as a leader in this organization and tell me that performance isn't important, performance isn't part of your mandate? And they go, what? What are you talking about? Go, do you know what culture does? We've talked about what culture is. We've talked, talked about what, how culture forms. Do you know what it does? And they go, uh, well, I could guess. And go, yeah, guessing isn't good enough, right? This is your business on the line here. Do you know what it does? And the bottom line is, no, they don't. And that's, that's completely okay because none of them have studied anthropology. They've got degrees in economics or marketing or they've got an MBA or they've done a Harvard business leadership program. And that's cool. Yeah. But when we go, look, there's only one thing all human cultures do and that is deliver a performance level. That's it. So any leader of people, including a parent that doesn't understand culture delivers performance, mm -hmm. right, is kind of in trouble or at least at a massive disadvantage if they're competing against an organization next door that does understand that culture delivers a performance and you're selling pretty much the same product at the same price into the same market, right? One of them's got a huge advantage because they know where their daily performance is coming from. Yeah. Now, I just want to make a distinction here in case any of your listeners are business people. Business people get performance and results mixed up in their head all the time. So the result is the end outcome of the performance. Yeah. Right. So you hit your target or you hit your budget or you hit your revenue or you hit your EBIT or your return on investment. You got it. Right. So it's the end result. The performance is what were the thousands of daily interactions, beliefs, behaviors, contributions, idea sharing, ignorance. And if you listen to that word, it's ignorance, ignorance. Yeah, so I chose to ignore something yeah. that led to us delivering a levels of a group level of behavior that gave you that outcome. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, business people that do not understand what culture is doing in their business are, and this is the words I'm using with, with boards now, is you're basically putting your business at risk. Mm. Yeah, well, I can definitely see that, how culture has such a big impact on performance. And I think if leaders and managers put the time into creating a good culture, then their performance, they'll begin to see the impacts that it can have on their performance. So what I'm hearing from you say is that culture is so important. It's important that we look at what the actual culture is. So whilst our organization might have values or you might set team values, it's important that you take the time to look and see what's actually playing out. Um, something else I'm picking up on is if people are acting in a certain way, it's potentially serving something. So it's serving a certain need. And even though it might not align with the culture, it's helping them in some way. So on that, I'm thinking, if a leader wants to change their culture or say you go into an organization and try to improve the culture, what if people don't want to change? Cause obviously their behavior is serving them in some way. How do you work with that resistance from team members or even leaders who start to think, oh, actually, I don't want to change. I'm happy with how I'm doing things. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. a really, really good question. I've got, I've got to congratulate you because that's, uh, just to give you an example, you just by asking that question, and you, you're probably aware of this or, or maybe you're not, you've actually tapped into something again that most business leaders don't appreciate. 
And what I mean by that is that culture only ever serves itself. It does not serve the business. Right. So you're right. In a culture, people behave the way they do, not because the business said that's the way we want you to behave, not because that's the compliant requirements or the regulation requirement. It's because for whatever reason, it serves the people in the culture to do that. Now, it could be. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, that's all it is. It's a different way of looking at the same thing. So then you go, ah, Okay, so they're only being compliant because it serves them, not because it serves us. And you go, yeah, okay. So that starts to have really big connotations for things like health and safety in the workplace. Right, so then you can go and look at your health and safety messages or training or education. And maybe this sort of applies even into your world. People don't learn when they go through a learning and development program. They're not learning for the organization. They're learning for themselves. Yeah. So if you can't, to your point, if you can't explain to anybody doing anything in a business what the personal payoff is, mm. right, you're automatically losing some of their discretionary efforts, some of their contributions, some of their ideas, or that word I used before, the insights. So it's almost like going, hi, Michael. Uh, look, thanks for turning up to work again today. Uh, need you to answer those 40 phone calls again. As we've already discussed, we're already aware 32 of them are going to be extremely stressful and insulting. Yeah. Why on earth would you want to do that? Yeah, exactly. I know, I know that's the way you keep your job. I know that's, but I want to know what on earth would drive you to turn up week after week after week and put yourself in that line of fire. Why on earth would you want to do that? And I might go, Thanks for asking me, Sarah. Actually, um, I'm a parent and I'm finding it hard. And what I've realized is the better I can become neutral in the face of anger or upset, the better parent I'm going to be. So to be perfectly honest, although you think I'm taking customer complaint calls, I'm not. I'm doing a degree in awesome parenting that I happen to be getting paid for. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's almost like the leaders want their team or organizations want their team to act in a certain way and follow those values. But really it's the people within the team that create that culture through the experiences that they have and what they face in the day. And it is almost like a survival instinct. So it's like, these things are coming at me. I'm dealing with these situations. How, what way can I act that's going to help me best survive in this situation? So that makes me think about the environment as well. So the environment that the employees are in can have such a big impact on the culture, despite what the values or the culture is that's been set for the organization. So I wonder, is there a way that leaders or organizations can impact their environment or change things in order to create that new culture rather than trying to change the individuals? Yeah, again, really, really good question. Um, in a immature culture, then the environment has a huge influence over the culture's response to delivering the behavior that's required. In a more evolved, or I'm going to use the word aware culture, the environment becomes less and less and less important. Mm. So let me give you an example of that. Um, the vast majority of the clients that I've worked with over the last five years um, have been sending me emails for the last eight weeks going, thank goodness we did your culture program before COVID. 
because without it we would have been nuts we would have shot ourselves we would have had resignations we would yeah. have uh, been fighting each other I, honestly i've been inundated with didn't realize just how profoundly useful this level of awareness around culturing is until crisis arrives so we liked your program before it was beneficial we got phenomenal financial results i mean one of the clients um which was something you talked about earlier about changing culture one of them changed the culture and saved 30 million dollars off the bottom line year on year so the practical outcomes have been kind of there all the time but even that client came back and went oh my goodness we didn't realize exactly what this really had to offer until COVID arrived because we we're watching what's happening to our competitors in the marketplace and they're crumbling. This has almost been the opposite of us. This has brought the best out in us. This is our people are really rallied. Our people, because of that word care, have gone, oh, right? So think about this on the inside is care, mm. on the outside is careful. Mm. So that's what I meant by the environment. If your perception is, oh, we need to be careful, right? Because mm. of this is going on. If you listen to the word careful, it's full of care. Where's that wow. culture? So you've wow. got to come back into your culture and go back to the belief system. Go, okay, COVID's just hit. What are our beliefs about that? Will it be a short thing? Is it real? Uh, so there's, I won't mention names. There's even uh, leaders of countries that spent the first four or five weeks denying it was even real. Wow. And that's probably part right. of the culture, right? Those behaviors exactly. would come from culture. Yeah. Exactly. So the environment's a constant opportunity for you as a culture to re-evaluate your belief systems. And here's, here's the beauty of this. Everything is a belief. Mathematics is a belief system. Wow. It's right? there's, there's, tribes in, there's tribes in the Amazon that do not understand time right wow. so they do not have the, they don't have the concept in their worldview and in their culture and even in their language they don't have a word for tomorrow and yesterday they have a they have a word that refers to uh, almost at the buddhist version of mindfulness yeah but their only reference is here we are now what about tomorrow here we are now and that works tomorrow we could in, in their environment they don't have they probably don't have set times to go and meet people for things or yeah like it's just interesting depending on what they're facing in their environment that's the sort of beliefs that they create yeah yeah wow yeah, and that, that that's it so that's what i mean by culture serves itself first yeah the organization's job is to understand what culture it's got to see what performance is being delivered. Yeah. To see what strategy is workable. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to loop back to a question that I, I kind of feel like I didn't really answer for you. And forgive me if I did and I'm repeating, you can just interrupt me and say, actually, no, we, we covered that. So you made a question before about, so what do you do if a culture needs to change or in fact, how do you even change a culture? Short answer is you can't change culture if you don't understand what culture is. Mm. so a huge part of my work um so i stopped doing those visits or that's not quite true i still do visits to clients that are i believe really really dedicated to culture most of them aren't but ones that i, I still go and visit and observe for them for other ones all my work is basically educating organizations on what culture is 
where it comes from. Some of the wonderful questions you've been asking. So congratulations, I've been blown away with your questions. It's like really- oh, I'm just so exciting. interested in it. We're so interested but, in, and the answers you've been giving, I'm just like trying to process it all, but it's just, you get so deep into like the core of what it is. And I love that. So I think people are gonna get so much value from this episode, I'm so excited. So yeah, thank you for oh. getting so deeply into it. You go way well, beyond the be surface honest, level, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you. And, and to be honest, I can't really take credit for that. I've got to pass credit back to my teachers. So if any anthropologist is not going to have a surface conversation with you. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love it's anthropologists. It's yeah, it's, it's not what we do. We're kind of, um, we've had enough of those. Right? So we've, mm. we've had the politic conversations. Politics are boring. Yeah. What, we, what we really want to know is what does it mean to be human here? Yeah. Right? So that, that's, and I love the fact you've got the curiosity because the curiosity basically is, it's those questions that take you from politics into a deeper understanding. Mm. Right? So you don't have curiosity, you have conversation. Yeah, that's totally it. And listen, listen to the word conversation, converse, right? And in the middle of it, it's con, which is opposite contrary contradictory verse is dialogue so mm. conversation is i think the beatles are the best band that ever existed <laughs> well that's just rubbish because clearly you've never listened to bruce springsteen and the e street yeah. band so that's available if that's what you want to spend your life doing having that and a lot of people do then yeah. you know go your good things so anthropology is yeah why is music important in the first place mm. forget the bands why, why are you so emotionally attached to music? What's that all about? Right? And then you go into that conversation, you go, oh, so you're telling me when you listen to a particular song or even a particular note or a particular lyric in a particular song that there's incredibly deep meaning in there for you, mm. that it shapes your life, that it tells your story, that it identifies who you are. And they go, yeah. And you go, yeah, okay. Now that's a cool conversation. Right, yeah, the, the Springsteen versus the Beatles conversations, like really, I, who knows, right? And the Labour versus the world, who knows? Yeah, and with culture, I think you're so right. It's so important to understand it because once you can understand what culture is, you can really start to work with it. And I think, yeah, just for everyone listening out there who's wanting to work on their culture or learn more about culture, you really need to understand what the reality is and take the time. And it sounds like observation is a big part of it for anthropologists. So taking the time to look and see what is actually happening in the environment, what results are they creating? What results do you want to create and making sure that the environment supports that. So we're getting to the end of our time. You've been absolutely amazing, Michael. I have learned so much from you and I know that the rest of the team that watches this and our community are going to learn so much as well. From Michael Henderson, what is your advice? Corporate anthropologist, author, keynote speaker, what is your top advice for people out there who are wanting to create a great culture for their organizational team? What would you like to leave them with? Two things. Number one, if they're in business, your business cannot outperform its culture. So whatever you've got in mind for your recovery out of COVID or your mid to long-term strategic objectives, you know, where you're going to be in 2005 or what your exit plan is for the business, sell it off to the highest bidder, whatever it happens to be. Number one is whatever you imagine is possible, you need to 
factor into your culture because your business cannot outperform the culture it's got. Two, if you realize the culture you've got is the one you need to get you to that exit plan, then as of first thing tomorrow morning, you better start studying culture fast because my experience is nine and a half people out of 10 in business haven't got a clue what culture is. They don't know what it does. They don't know our influence. They think culture and uh, strategy are not related. And then also, if you look at your culture, you wake up and kind of look at your culture, realize what culture is and realize categorically the culture you've got is not going to get you to where you want to go. Then you've got to go through cultural transformation. Again, you cannot do that if you don't first know what culture is. Mm. So if I were to wrap that up, you know, we all know how hard it is to change a habit. Right, to, to give up smoking, to stop eating sugar, to go from not exercising to going to the gym regularly. So every human being knows how hard that is. Again, the reason we struggle is most people don't know what a habit is. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know how it forms. They don't know what a habit is actually doing neurologically in the brain. So if you don't know that and you try and change a habit, right, you're massively restricted in the opportunities that are available to you. And yet when you do know, you can change a habit now, right? You can... And I'm, I'm not being flippant here. You can stop eating sugar now if you know what a habit is. If you don't, then you're kind of guessing your way to trying to change that behavior. So that would be my final remark. Is if, you, if, you, if there's a business case for culture in your organization, in other words, you realize culture's offering a performance level that is required for you to excel, succeed, or serve your customers or exit, then you better get good at culture. And that means you better study. You, you better come and learn. You better access knowledge and awareness and this is back into your world isn't it it's invest the time and the energy to actually understand what you're actually dealing with here because my experience of doing this over 35 years over 300 cultural transformation programs is most organizations do not have a clue what they're talking about yeah so everyone listening to this michael has just shared really valuable advice if you need to go back and re-listen to it please do he's had 35 years in this industry it really can impact performance. And if you just listen to this podcast, you'll understand why. Um, look more into culture, learn more about it. I'm going to recommend uh, Michael has a TEDx that he did, which is amazing. I watched it the other day and I think watch that and that will just give you some insight into culture and the impacts it can have. Is there anywhere else that you would recommend people go to or how can people find you, Michael, if they wanted to look at your website or... LinkedIn, I'll put it all in the description, but what would you recommend if people are wanting Thanks, support Hannah. with culture? Thanks, Hannah. That's very kind of you. Uh, two things I would say is, again, I'm very aware that the Michael Henderson anthropology approach, as I've alluded to throughout this kind of podcast, is different from other anthropologists. So a couple of things I would do is, first of all, say, go have a look at other anthropologists as well, because I'm not right. I'm just me. Uh, my favorite to look at who's a pure anthropologist. So I do what's called corporate anthropology. Um, the, what, the person I'm about to refer to is a Canadian uh, anthropologist stroke poet. Um, and his name is Wade Davis. He's the, or he was the resident anthropologist for National Geographic. So go to TED, the TED Talks, uh, type in Wade Davis and watch a couple of uh, his talks. He talks about what we were alluding to at the beginning is that really deep grounded understanding of what it means to be human in culture. Um, and the guy can talk like he's, 
I have to pause his talks about every 90 seconds or so because it's like listening to Shakespeare. Oh, wow. You've got to have time to process it. Uh, it's not even it's not even just the concepts themselves are mind blowing. Yeah. But he delivers them as poetry almost. You listen wow. to the way he so he describes memory as being the equivalent of raindrops patterning themselves into wet stones in the river. Wow. Right. And you go, what? And so you have to pause and go, oh yeah, it's like an idea that hits the brain yeah. over a long period of time and then that becomes imprinted in the rock in the river even though there's other thing other water flowing across the stone those early raindrops have already indented it so you go clack yeah. wow what that a cool way of, and then you go back yeah mind literally mind-blowing so yeah. wade davis certainly worth it uh, okay. and yeah. then thank you for the opportunity just to uh, guide listeners if they kind of want to know more about the approach we're working with they can go to my website yep uh, so that's michaelhenderson.com and there are videos and articles completely free on there and then my linkedin um so michael henderson corporate anthropologist on linkedin has also got a backlog in there of articles i wrote about a lot in fact a lot of the topics we've covered here today about how organizations are thinking about and seeing culture uh, the only distinction i would make is i don't talk too much about the observation side because we can all observe, and that's, to your point, very, very helpful and useful. Where we're observing from is even more important to understand, and that's called awareness. So, for example, if you are observing, well, we talked about two people sitting in a room arguing, right? So we can all sit and observe that. What you've actually got to do to be really effective is observe who you are observing that. So if you go, oh, I'm a nine-month-old baby that doesn't have verbal language yet observing this that yeah, wow. changes the dynamic of what's being observed right or you can go i am a career psychoanalyst 40 years practice i'm in the room watching the argument right so what they're observing is radically different from what the nine-month-old is so yeah I love the fact you put a huge emphasis on observation because it's vital it's absolutely mm -hmm. critical but what's even more important is the awareness of where you're observing from and oh, wow. so the article the articles are more pointing to that kind of a sensitivity yeah okay and i'll put your i've seen you've written books as well which is amazing so i'll put them in the description too um thanks hannah anyone who wants to check that out but yeah thank you so much for your time michael you have yeah shared so much value and you just go so deep into the topic of culture and our team has been so interested in it so we're just so grateful that you took the time to share this with us so thank you so much for being on the show it's my pleasure and thanks for being such a curious curator of the conversation <laughs>